Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Bienvenidos a la serie de sermones de Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now here's this week's sermon. Check it out. God bless you. Start. Uh, I've never preached on the Gospel of John, so in September I'm going to preach on the Gospel of John. But this summer I am just kind of freewheeling it. I do not know from week to week where I am going. That's a little scary for me. But, uh, yes, that... The Spirit may just grab hold of this and take us somewhere. So, so anyway, this week, uh, to my surprise, I am preaching on Psalms 8. And uh, I'm going to read the entire chapter. And so starting with verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, by the way, while we're welcoming people, I want to welcome the Donbaws who are here. Uh, they pastor a Brethren in Christ church in the Susquehanna Conference, Mount Pleasant. I remember. Pleasant View. I knew, Ple I knew it was pleasant. And... Uh, <laughs> He, uh, he said occasionally, I, uh, uh, Paul is one of those folks that I helped uh, encourage into the ministry, and I know one day he'll forgive me. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> he said he has, okay. Psalm 8 is considered the first psalm of praise in the book of Psalms. Psalms 1 and 2 are introductory, and they're somewhat, uh, they lay the foundation for the rest of the, of the book. Uh, and then after the first two chapters, the next five psalms are considered primarily psalms of lament and sorrow. But this psalm is different than the first seven chapters. It is a psalm of wonder. It is poetry of knee-bending awe. It is grounded in the majesty of God's creation, its vastness, its beauty. Again, in verse 3, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. George Washington Carver wrote, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if only we will tune in. God's fingerprints are everywhere. 
In the 23rd Psalm, we see David as a naturalist. He sees God in nature everywhere. Nature for David does have God's fingerprints all over it. He finds God in green pastures. He discovers God beside still waters. He sees God in the relationship between sheep and shepherd. God used nature to replenish David's soul, to restore it, and to teach him of God's reality and virtues and ways. As David wrote elsewhere, the heavens declare the glory of God, and they declare it louder, to be honest, to some than others. For some of you, you need to get in a quiet room by yourself in order to hear from God. For some of you, it's music. For some of you, if you get in a great cathedral or hear liturgy, it does it for you. But for some of you, if you want to jump your prayer life, you need to get outdoors. Where, for some of us, it has just as great an impact for how for some of us when we worship. Never forget that when a lot of Scripture was first read, it was read outdoors. Much of the Bible was meant to be read outdoors. When we read about rivers of life, the power of those words are increased if you read them on the bank of the Susquehanna, if you can, you know, find a place that doesn't smell. The term green pastures takes us to a whole, takes on a whole new luster when you are in an unspoiled meadow. Jesus himself reveled in the beauty of nature and used many analogies from nature to teach about who God is. When Jesus taught about the sparrows in the Sermon on the Mount, he probably, in front of the crowd, could see them flying around. When he talked about the glory of the lilies of the field, he could have been standing right in the middle of them while he preached. Never forget that our first home as a species was in a garden, not a skyscraper. Martin Luther wrote that we can see miracles all through nature. Miracles, he believed, that proclaimed God's greatness louder than the sacraments themselves. And Luther was a sacrament guy. It is nature that tells us our God is a God of infinite power, infinite intellect, infinite creativity, infinite beauty, infinite abundance. Right now, we live in a universe that is approximately 90 billion light years across, and it is still growing. Think about that. Light travels at 186,000 miles a second. Imagine going 186,000 miles a second for 90 billion years and you still haven't reached the edge of the universe. And at the edge of this universe are galaxies called quasars, entire galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars in each, traveling into the vastness of space at nearly the speed of light with no end of slowing down. In fact, they are accelerating. That is amazing. String theory states that according to science, there are at least 11 dimensions or universes besides the one we live in. Some of them, according to string theory, have no time. Others, no sense of space. String theory says that all of real reality is made up of tiny little loops of vibrating energy that are billions and billions of times smaller than an atom. Billions of times smaller than an atom. And they quiver and they vibrate. And according to how they vibrate or the frequency they vibrate, that depends on what they turn into or what they become... What kind of stuff they become. The tone 
of the vibration makes up reality. Literally, our universe is made of music. Isn't that astounding? And I'm sure the psalmist would say the entire universe, including the subatomic universe, is singing praises to its creator. Hallelujah. We live in a reality that is far more varied and at times wonderfully strange than we can imagine. And what we're really finding out is that the universe is infinite, not only in terms of largeness, but in terms of smallness. It goes both ways. Infinity gets smaller and smaller, as well as ever expanding. And who knows how many universes there are. As the hymn sings out, when through the woods and forest glades I wander, I hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. What this means for worship is that some of us will do well to go on a walk and really pay attention. Some of us need to get into nature's sanctuary as often as possible. Some of us need to sit under a tree or go hiking or study and study scripture there. Why? Because nature jumps, starts worship. That is what it is for. That is precisely what it is for. God put his glory in nature. That's what it says here. You have set your glory in the heavens. Why? So that we could have the universe's greatest worship aid, the universe itself. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Because God shows himself everywhere in everything natural, as well as through scripture and events and people. God created this universe to reveal his glory and teach us about his existence. As one noted physicist said, if we need an atheist for a de debate, I go to the philosophy department. The physics department isn't much help at all. Noted astronomer Alan Sandage, who began his scientific career as an atheist, was so overwhelmed by the data connected to creation, he felt he had to, to have intellectual integrity, he had to accept the existence of God. He said, it was my science that drove me to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science itself. We can't understand the universe in any clear way without the supernatural. By the way, lots of scientists have come to that conclusion. Many physicists have been forced to that. We live in a universe beyond comprehension. To consider it even at a superficial level should leave us all awestruck, just like the psalmist. And while the psalmist is considering the glory of creation, he makes a connection, a remarkable connection. He sees a connection between the stars and children. That's what he says. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. That's the first, before he considers the universe, he considers the miracle of children. In fact, he lists children first as evidence of God's handiwork before he goes larger. And it causes the psalmist to ponder, what are human beings 
that you are mindful of them? What are human beings that you care for them? What makes you mindful of us? What makes you focus on us? What makes you seek us out? He sees that the same power that formed the stars is the same power that formed a child and human beings. I cannot begin to tell you this morning how special we are in the eyes of God. Just our bodies are complex beyond the imagining. Did you know there are more atoms in the human body than there are stars in heaven? And there are more stars in heaven than there are grains of sand on every beach, on every body of water on this planet? Think about that. How special are human beings? How special is God's creation of us? One human being, one human being, just based on the math of all the processes that go on in a human body molecularly, cell, in terms of cell activity, in terms of the whole system of a human body, the human body, based on that math, is a million times more complex than the entire universe. And you think of what's going on in the entire universe. We are, each of us as an individual, is a million times more complex than that. That's how much thought and work God put into making you. What we lack in size and power, we make up for in complexity, especially women. <laughs> Pray for me, I got to go home. <laughs> Did you know 90% of your atoms? So, honey, please, you're scaring me. <laughs> Did you not know 90% of your atoms, of what you are made of, are replaced every year? Did you know that every five years, 100% of your atoms are replaced by new atoms? I wish better ones were coming. Never mind. Anyway. Every five years, you become a new person physically, literally a new person. Every two days, we replace all the cells that line our intestines. Every two days, everything that lines your it's gone. Every two weeks, we replace all the cells in our, on our outer skin. By the way, that is why primarily we have dust in our homes. Most people think that dust is dirt. Well, for some of you, most of the dust, never mind. <laughs> but in most of our homes, the majority of the dust is not dirt. The dust is us. Our own body remaking itself over and over. Imagine how clean your home would be if you and your family didn't live in it. Think about that. If you didn't shed skin, your dusting and vacuuming would be so much less. Isn't it amazing how the body maintains itself? We are not accidents. God made us. We did not just happen. And he made us a little lower than the angels. We are walking miracles. Fallen, yes. Imperfect miracles, yes. But miracles nevertheless. Because, folks, a cracked diamond is still a diamond, isn't it? The painting called the Mona Lisa is not what it used to be, but it still is the Mona Lisa. 
and the evidence of the work of genius. So are we. We are the evidence of the work of genius. Atheistic secular evolution defies logic and science. As Richard Swenson puts it, any serious thinker is confronted with two unavoidable questions when it comes to atheistic evolution. How did non-life step across the threshold to become life? And how did life encode immensely complex amounts of information on DNA? The explanation by the atheistic evolutionists is it was time and chance. If you give it something enough time, enough things will bump together and life will happen. But they have no answers for these questions. And Swenson concludes, he says, randomness is a non-starter, not a solution to these questions. You know, it's like, I, I love Randy Miller's analogy when he said, you know, what atheistic evolution basically says is if you put sand in a box and cover up the box and leave it for two billion years, when you open the box, you'll find a watch. I got news for you. In two billion years, you'll still find sand in a shoebox. And that's the way it is. Could God, probably did God use evolution to create life? To, did he guide evolution to create life? I think the answer is yes. You know, I, I'm like E. Stanley Jones. E. Stanley Jones, the great missionary to India, he said, I don't care if God knocked the eight ball into the pocket with a direct shot or he used a combination. It's still God knocking the ball into the pocket. But accidental human beings do not compute on any level, including the scientific level. Scientists have calculated that the that there are 109 characteristics of our universe that require fine-tuning that all had to be precisely operating at the same time for there to be life in this universe. Think about that. If gravity was a little stronger or a little weaker, we're not here. Just gravity. If radiation in this universe was a little stronger, we're not here. If we were a little closer or a little further away from the sun, we're not here. The strong force and the weak force on the subatomic level, if they are different in any way, we are not here. If the temperature of this planet varies at all, we are not here. And th Now think about that. I've just given you, there's 109 things like that. Even if one of them is off, we do not exist. That is not an accident. Let me say it again. We are not an accident. We, as they, you know, I watch all these science shows like How the Universe Works and stuff. I love shows like that. And what gets me is show after show after show. They go, you know, if this, was, if this factor was just a little bit different, we wouldn't, life would not exist. We have been extremely fortunate and they keep basically attributing the way we are and the existence of the universe and human life, they keep attributing it to luck. I've got news for you. Nobody gets that lucky. The, st the statistics are staggeringly opposed to the theory, we are just lucky. Do you know what it takes to have 109 factors of reality line up perfectly and call that luck? That's stupidity to call that luck. By the way, it appears as if this universe was created so we could be created and live in it. 
And many scientists, many physicists and astrophysicists have come to that conclusion. That's why in the physics department, you don't find many atheists. Humans are the only creatures on this planet that are made in God's image. We're the only ones who can relate to God directly, spirit to spirit, mind to mind, heart to heart. God did not come to a cow and say, come, let us reason together. Have you ever talked to a cow? It's fruitless. God did not hang on a cross to spare pigeons. Only humans were worth God's entry into our reality and God becoming human. Only humans were worth dying for, and not in our estimation, in his estimation. We are unique and valued to him beyond our capability to comprehend it. And because of such status, we have been given dominion over this planet and over the works of his hands. Wow. Which means we must take care of the planet in his name. We take care of it, not because we worship Mother Earth. We're not pantheists. We don't worship Mother Earth. Or we buy into some New Age gobbledygook, and there's always New Age gobbledygook these days. Or because of political affiliation. We take care of this world because God made us stewards of this world. And to him, we are accountable for this world. Tony Campalo said that years ago when he did this, he said, Every summer, an army of collegiate volunteers joins me in ministry to urban children across America. We try to help them through special programs that include sports and Bible study and academic tutoring. We try to make the kids who live in these urban slums into environmentalists. If you had to look at the trash and junk strewn along the streets and piled up on the vacant lots where they live, you would understand why this is so important. If you could see the empty beer cans and discarded needles from the drug users in every direction you looked, you would grasp the significance of what we're trying to get the kids to do. It's difficult to experience God in the midst of a filthy environment. It's hard to feel spiritual when you are surrounded by garbage. It takes real effort to sense God's abiding presence when the graffiti of angry people is everywhere you look. He said, I believe that one of the reasons God created everything beautiful is because God wanted to nurture our souls through beauty. And when we mess up God's beautiful world because of our sin, God calls us to repent and do the works of repentance. It's a sin to screw up the planet. And then Kampalo concludes with this. I wonder how much of the despair and how many of the threats of violence that lurk in our city streets are nurtured by ugly surroundings. I wonder how many tough kids see nothing good in themselves because they see nothing good in the streets and alleys of their neighborhoods. I wonder how many people trash themselves and others around them because they are surrounded by trash. We were meant to live in a world of beauty. We are not to violate the creation with our sin and make it ugly and foul it. Of course, there are other practical reasons to be good stewards of this world. We all have to breathe. Anybody here not breathing, would you raise your hand? I didn't expect them to, really. <laughs> we all have to drink clean water, don't we? 
We all need environments where we're not wallowing in toxins or it's not invading our food. And often we don't care about these things till it's our kids getting cancer or it's our water that's polluted or it's our river that something got dumped into it and it stinks. Plus, the fact is, is that Jesus values the poor. And when the planet is contaminated, guess who gets to suffer first? It is the poor. Shortages of water and food take their toll on them first. In the summer of 1987, a Christian on a short-term mission trip stood at the edge of the Serengeti River in West Africa. And with him was a tribal chief who was the leader of a nation of nomads. His people were dying from a lack of water. The herds of goats that had provided his people's livelihood were all but gone, and most of the able-bodied young men of the tribe had left to seek a new life in the city of Dakar. There was no life left for them wandering the plains of Africa. And as we talked, this man said, the chief said, this is not a drought that we must endure. It is far more serious than that. My people know how to survive droughts. For a thousand years we have survived droughts. But this is not a drought. And when he was asked why he thought what was happening was more than a drought, he simply answered, the world is changing. The world is changing. That was in 1987. We need to take care of what God has given us. It's what good stewards do. There is lightened in self-interest involved because if we mess it, if, if the earth goes down, we're all going down with the ship. But most of all, we do this because this is a part of our worship to God. We have been given a world. God help us not to screw it up. The old hymn says, this is my father's world. My father's world. We are not insignificant specks of dust. There is not a single molecule in this universe that is unknown to him or beyond his ability to use for his purposes. The psalmist tells us that he who spoke a universe into existence also causes babies to be born and suckle at their mother's breast. And that God is working at thousands of levels, even in us, all the time. Doesn't Paul say that? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us. God is at work in you right now. Did you know that? Often in ways you cannot tell. He is doing stuff that will not manifest itself till a week from now, a year from now. You may not even get to see what he did until you get to heaven itself. But he knows every atom that makes you up. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every bird that falls. He knows you. You are unique and valued to him in ways that are beyond comprehension. One pastor said, someone asked his grandmother, who had six children, which of the six did she love the most? She, they wanted her to rate who she loved the most. I don't know about you, but I've, I've done that for years. And uh, one, two, and three. Um, the, uh, <laughs> says their mother. Don't worry, it can change, you know, based on income. Anyway, the, uh, 
<laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> More move-ons. Okay. When they asked her which of her six children she loved the most, she said, you don't, the love for your children doesn't work that way. She said, it's as if when each child is born, another room gets added to your heart. And no one else can occupy that room. It doesn't have to be bigger and better than the other rooms. It's just their room in your heart. In my father's house are many rooms, Jesus said. One of them was added when you became his child. That room is yours, and no one else can ever occupy it. It is secret to you and to Jesus. It is your own private Sistine Chapel. It is furnished by every, and I love this, please hear this. It is furnished by every moment of intimacy you've ever had with God. Every wonder you've experienced with God. The togetherness, you know, by, by the together, togetherness shared by you and your Father, which no one else shared or has ever shared or knows. In the whole divine journey, no one else has walked your pathway. No one. In the whole cosmic choir, no one else can sing your song. No one. In all the universe, no one has experienced what you've experienced with God. Only you pray, can praise God with your individual song. No one else can sing your song. No one. And God values that more than you can imagine. God is seeking us out constantly. He is mindful of us. Years ago, I went to the Jesuit monastery in Warnersville for a spiritual retreat of silence. Those are the hardest kinds of retreats for me, the retreat of silence. I was struggling. I grew up without love in my life, and I needed healing because of it. I desperately wanted God's love, but something in me constantly fought it, constantly questioned it, couldn't trust it. And one night I sat outside of the monastery with a journal in the midst of this struggle with my heart and God. I was under one of the, I don't know what you call it, it's not a gazebo, but they have these things that go out from the main building that you can sit under and it gives you shade and shelter. And as I was there in the evening at night, the Lord spoke to me and said, I love you. He didn't say it in an audible voice, but I heard it clearly. And then he said, and now tonight, I am going to show you how much I love you. And it began to rain. And God said, my love is like this rain. And it rained harder and harder and harder and harder. It rained impossibly hard. It was literally like being under a waterfall. Short of a hurricane or a tropical storm, I didn't think such a downpour like that could happen. And when I checked the weather, it hadn't happened like that anywhere else in that area that night. That night was a breakthrough for me. The God of the universe 
literally poured his love onto me and into me and all around me. And I sat there and I cried like a baby. I'm not a crier. My wife can tell you I'm not a crier. I might get teary-eyed once every few years. But I cried. And the harder I cried, the harder it rained. And the harder it rained, the harder I cried. And when I return to that monastery for spiritual retreat, I go back to that same spot every time I go to Wernersville. It is my personal outdoor cathedral. It was my personal burning bush. To this day, I believe with all my heart that God arrayed the molecules of a storm cloud so that what was in his heart could enter my heart. And he gave me a visual demonstration that I will never forget, and it changed me forever. That night, I was crowned with glory, the glory of his love. I was targeted by the God who runs this universe and who is mindful of everyone who loves him. I pray the same for you. May you keep your heart and eyes open for God to rain on you with a love greater than anything else he has created. And when he does that, sing. Because when I get to heaven, I'm going to sing a song. And one of the verses will be about a night spent with God in the rain at Wernersville. That will be one of the verses, one of the lyrics. You have a song to sing, just like I do. And it is utterly unique. Only you know, and God knows, what he's got you through. Only you know and God knows how he touched your heart, how he healed your heart, how he provided for your life, how he changed you, how he transformed you. You have your song that no one else can sing. And so I want you now to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to think about what is your song. It could be a hymn or a chorus but it may be a song that no one else has written. It may be lyrics there's no music for yet. It may be a song that it will not be completed till heaven. But what song are you singing to God? Remember. What is your song?